we've been discussing uh, this treasure principle, which is essentially uh, is derived, uh, if you were here last Sunday, from a scripture where, that Jesus describes, tries to describe the kingdom. And uh, the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in the field, and you... Uh, this man saw this treasure in the field and he sold everything and he bought the field. So the, we have this term in tribe that we've used for many, many years, buy the field, which basically means be all in, right? Uh, understand the value of this thing that we call the kingdom of God, both in the broad sense of the kingdom of God and in the specific sense of tribe, of this particular church. So we're discussing this further. I'm going to hit you with some, a lot of scriptures today. But before I do, um, sort of let's zoom out a little bit into the broader kingdom. Uh, a few of us went to Orlando a few, uh, and came back a few days ago, and it's sort of this conference that happens for our fellowship, our family of churches, uh, called the Discipleship, uh, the, the Discipleship, World Discipleship um, Summit. Um, and we, I mean, we had 16,000 registrations. I think there was like 13 or 11,000 different accounts of people present there and uh, from all over the world. And it was one, one of those things that, you know, it's fascinating that you, have, you can have the same experience. And depending on who you are, on who you are and how you've invested in the kingdom, in the capital K kingdom, you have, will have a different experience. Right? And it was fascinating to think about it that way because we were there, and, um, and, and for us, because we've been in the church for decades, right? not just years, but decades, it was this mountaintop experience. Um, it was this you know, take-your-breath-away experience. In the, in the opening session, one of the things that hit me was sort of these, this contrast between the young and the old, right? The young and the old, and I'll explain what it means. In, uh, in, in the very first opening session when the worship started, uh, for some reason they had this segment uh, on, on the left. If you're looking at the stage on the left, it was imagine like being, having 11,000 people in, in one room, right? And the segment, the third of the crowd was young people. And I think it was singles in, in campus or something like that. I'm not exactly sure how it all came, came together. But there was this roar you know, I call it the roar, right? Uh, because it was, it, was, it was a roar of joy, of passion, of, of we're, here we are sent us type roar, right? And it was just, I was just, I had goosebumps. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is a glimpse of the kingdom of God, a glimpse that this movement, this family of churches has this amazing future because the young are fully engaged. Uh, and it's just breathtaking. And then in one of the closing sessions, I, I believe, some, or somewhere in the middle, um, there's this. Now, if you haven't been around for a long time, these two people are very special. The guy on the left, his name is Al Baird. He was uh, the first elder in the sort of the early f movement that was sort of, you know, uh, appearing in the midst of the, of, the, of, the, of the mainline churches of Christ, this movement that really wanted to go to all nations and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And there was this few dozen people in the beginning who said, let's just be all in. We want it to be all in. We don't want it to be just sort of a denomination type thing. And he was one of the, uh, he was like an old guy back then, right? So he jokes about that all the time. His name's Albert. The woman on the right, her name is Pat Gemple. And Pat Gimple was there, as a matter of fact, the first meetings that happened 
to decide we're going to do this. We're going to really go all in and we're going to go worldwide. And all of that stuff was in her bedroom, in her uh, living room, rather. Uh, and there was like, there was like a few, there's, I don't know, there's a, the mythology, right, of the churches. There was a few 30 would-be disciples type thing. But actually, in actuality, it was a few dozen people, maybe even a few hundred people, because they were all talking to each other across the nation in different parts. But it, it started something special. And these two were speaking on stage um, after decades of, of, of being in the kingdom and being all in. And they were speaking with such faith in such power, and I was, that gave me goosebumps because I was sitting, in the, sitting there and going, if it wasn't for a few dozen people that went all in, that bought the field, none of us would be in this room right now. And that was powerful. That was life-changing for me, right? Um, so the reason I, t- I tell you all of this stuff is that Jesus talks about this a lot. He presents the kingdom of God as an all-in opportunity. But the only way to invest in the kingdom of God is to invest everything. That's it. There's no, there's no halfway there option in the words of Jesus when he talks about his movement, his people, his way. So if we claim to be Christians, if we want to follow in his footsteps... He doesn't present us with any other option. As a matter of fact, in Luke 14, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate what? The cost. If you have enough money to complete it, and and, and notice the financial dimension of how he speaks about the kingdom. And the reason he says that is because it is hardwired into human beings to to put our treasure where where our heart is. If you think about the things that you pay for the most, these are the things that we what? Treasure, right? A heart is in there. And he, then he, comp- he says, in the same way, he finishes out this thought, those of you who do not give up, how much? Everything. Cannot be my disciples. So there's only one way to be a disciple, according to Jesus. Now, if you took a, you know, look at my own life, I took a, uh, if we look at our lives, you look at the, at the life of the church in America, there's all kinds of ways to be a disciple. But that is not Christianity, that is technically churchianity. Does that make sense? There's a difference between his definition and the definition that we create in our, in our minds and with our lifestyles. And the only definition that actually matters is his definition if we really truly care about living out the truth. In fact, you cannot live life in Christ without buying the field the same way you cannot live life on earth without breathing oxygen. There is no other option. And that's why it's so important that we talk about this with honesty and vulnerability and courage, right? The financial side of our lives cannot be isolated from the rest of our lives. It cannot be. In the same way, our financial side of of our giving and how that reflects the kingdom in our lives cannot be separated from the rest of our, that's churchianity. You don't want anything to do with that, or you can. You're welcome to, but you will be disappointed, um, I promise you. So I'm going to hit you with a few scriptures right away, and what we're going to do is we're going to set up the stage for five principles of being rich in Christ. 
as a human being. Does that make sense? Are you ready for this? Are you sure? Okay. Genesis 2, 11 to 12, it says uh, the, the, the term gold as an, a symbol of wealth is, in, is um, the first mention of gold is introduced in the Bible in the book of Genesis in the second chapter. The land of Havilah where there is gold and the goal of that land is good. Think about this. This is something I discovered this, just this last year. Uh, there's a sort of there's a Hebrew tradition. It's called the law of first mention, right? When something is mentioned, a word is mentioned, a term is mentioned, a concept is mentioned in the Bible, the first time it's mentioned, it shapes what this is as a reality in God's sight, right? So that's the law of first mention. So gold, as a symbol of wealth, is introduced literally in the second chapter of Genesis, and it's given the characteristic characteristics of what? Good, right? Not neutral, which is for the most of my life I've, I've th thought of money as neutral. You can do good, you can do bad, it's neutral, blah, blah, blah. It makes a lot of sense. But it's not introduced that way. It's introduced as good, meaning it's a tool for good. And think about this. This is, will blow you away. How many people were there in the Garden of Eden, Eden in the beginning? There were two people. Were they trading to, with each other? No, they weren't. They were married. And yet this was introduced right there. There's no marketplace. There's no marketplace in the, in, in the Garden of Eden. Everything's provided by God. And then this term is still introduced early on. Uh, Job 41, 11, Everything under heaven belongs to me. This is obviously God's talking to, jo to Job. Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, if you go, okay, I understand that. He's the creator of the universe. I get it. You know, he spoke the universe into existence. How, what, is, what does that have to do with money? Well, here's what it has to do with money. Haggai 2.8. It says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The next scripture, like if you think about this in the sense of, yeah, but it is my money and I work so hard for it. And, you know, it's hard, for, you know, it's hard to make money. Yes, welcome to a fallen world. This was introduced as a concept in Genesis right there, right? It's going to be hard to make money. Deuteronomy 8, 18, it says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Now that's a shift in consciousness, if you think about it. We live in a nation of people who we, of, you know, of self-starters, right? Self-made man It's sort of the hero of America. The Bible introduces the concept that it, there's no such thing as a self-made man. Economically, there's no such thing. On a spiritual, highest, deepest level, the Lord is the one who gives you the ability to create wealth in the first place. That's a, that's a complete transformation of the way we think about ourselves and our wealth and what belongs to us, right? In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. If you have any illusions, any any sort of nuanced uh, thinking about, well, what, where's, you know, where does Jesus' stop, Jesus' stuff and influence and dominion stop and mine starts uh, with my own agency? Here's the answer. You do not belong to yourself if you're a Christian. And you were bought at a price. Um, in First Chronicles 29, King David is moved 
to his very core because he is called to build a temple and he's basically saying, hey guys, we need to all chip in. And this physical manifestation of God's glory on earth will be provided by us as a nation. So he says, let's bring our gold, bring our silver, donate stuff, right? And then he's, he's just blown away at the generosity of God's people. And then he says this, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we've given you only what comes from your hand. See, if you change your perspective, everything changes. If you're, if you're a, a, the person, a person of the Bible and you read those scriptures, it, it will reshape, redirect your life, and everything you, uh, you think about money will be completely redefined and reframed, right? So five, five principles. Are you ready based on these scriptures? Here are the five principles of rich living in Christ, okay? Principle number one, I'm the manager, not the owner of my wealth. I'm the manager, not the owner of my wealth, right? A money manager's job is to find the will of the one who owns the money and finds the best way to execute on it. That is our job. So whatever money we make in our businesses, in our jobs, uh, regardless of what you do for, for a living, your job is to manage God's money. It's not your money. It's not my money. Right? And incidentally, if you think about that principle, that is part of, if you want a reason to take care of the environment, it's his world. And we take care of his world. You know, like you can, you can have all kinds of opinions about, you know, uh, global warming, all that stuff. All that is secondary. We care for the earth because it's his, uh, his world and we are taking care of it. We're called to do that, right? Um, now, how do you do that? How do you, how do you shift your perspective from this is my money to this is all his money and I just manage it? Well, you do what we're doing right now. You read scripture with intentionality to find out and retrain your brain. You inquire the Holy Spirit. Learn how to do that. Learn how to really drive that home. If this is uncomfortable to you, and it's uncomfortable, I promise, to everybody in real life. Inquire the Holy Spirit to change the way you not only think about something, but the way you feel about something. And the third is discipleship. Hang out with people who are kingdom people, who are managers of God's money. That's how they th think of their lives. And you'll learn something from them just by asking honest, vulnerable questions. Most of us are even afraid to talk about it. It's very un-American to say, how much money do you make? What do you do with it? Have you noticed? It's just not polite. But we have small groups for that. Like, you don't have to, like, tell everyone what, how much is in the bank account and what sort of idolatries you have with your money. <laughs> but if you're in a small group, I really highly encourage you to be open about that. And if you have any doubts and, th and thoughts about it, be open. It's a safe place. That's why we have this intimacy and discipleship. This is, this is how this group operates. This is a celebration of what happens Monday to Saturday, not the point and the focal point of it. Does that make sense? That's how you get to it. Okay, principle number two. I am to manage God's wealth with joy. Now that's a concept, right? We are so... There's so much anxiety connected to money. 
for any, most human, most of us, right? Unless you're, you know, rel relatively wealthy, which is also a funny, tricky thing. Because everybody who sits in this room is the, in, in the top 1% of the planet. In history, not just on the planet presently, but of the planet in history. <laughs> like you're the richest people in the world right now, right? Doesn't feel that way because you live among other richest people of the world. So it's all relative, right? But here's what 2 Corinthians says in, in chapter 9 and verses 7 to 8. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's a, this direct connection. And it's so tricky because I don't want, from one standpoint, I don't want to treat God as an ATM machine, right? Like, I don't want to be the, the, the person who goes, okay, if I invest this much, there's going to be an ROI for me financially from this side because God is supernatural. And all of that stuff, that's prosperity gospel material. It's shallow, unbiblical, harmful, self-seeking. But the scripture does say this. He says that God cares how you give with great joy, and you have to shift your mind to get there, right? And also, he says that he wants to bless you abundantly. And story after story after story, this is why it helps to hang out with people who, are, who have been, who you can see as a model of, of faithful giving and a model of, of, of spiritual prosperity, and ask them, how does it work for you when you give generously, you know? And by the way, the biblical baseline, like training wheels, is 10%. Like, and this is millennia. If you go to any synagogue in the country, anywhere in the world, how much do you give? 10%. Why? Because this is baseline, right? It's generous giving in the New Testament that's, that's, uh, that's encouraging us. Not, a, not even a number. But that's training wheels level stuff. And that's a challenging thing for most people. As a matter of fact, we know for a fact, even in this community, about 30% of our members don't give anything. And it's sad, not because of what we could do with this together, but it's sad because it robs you of the ability to experience what is promised right here. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. The, the, one of the benefits of hanging out with people who have done this for a long time faithfully is that they will tell you, time after time after time, God provides. Supernaturally provides. And you can't and shouldn't treat him as an ATM machine and say, okay, well, if, if he's going to provide, this is what I'm going to do, right? But a joyful giver is what God wants to do. And that's a challenge. It's a spiritual effort. It's an investment, right? Um, uh, maybe in the first couple of years before I, after I became a Christian, you know, I was called by God, convicted by the Holy Spirit to go in ministry and phase out my music career. And the drop, I cannot uh, overexpress over the drop of my revenue. <laughs> going from, be, going from being a, a, a pop star to being a minister, right, on salary, a third world salary. It was flat out depressing for me personally, right? But I was like, all right, I'm going to just be obedient, and I'm going to phase out, and I'm going to do this thing. And it's just fascinating uh, how that works. So a few, uh, I think it was, uh, I, 
I became a Christian in 95, and 97, the fall, almost exactly two years later, started preaching the word, and I started sort of phasing out of my music career, and I was convicted by a spirit to do it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it, because this is what I think God wants me to do, right? And most people thought, by the way, I was crazy, including some people in the church, right? Like, what are you doing, dude? I'm like, well, doesn't it say, you know, leave everything? Yeah, but not literally. Yeah, actually, sometimes literally. <laughs> you know? So anyway, uh, so I was living that new life, and I was full of the spirit, very excited, but very poor financially, let's put it that way. And by the way, uh, I didn't have the maturity to put a lot of money away because I didn't expect to, like, stop getting it. And I didn't have the discipline and the foresight, so I burned, every, I mean, I just, I burned money like it was nothing, right? Like most people do in the good tradition of being a pop star, right? So, no savings whatsoever. So you jump off, you jump off the cliff, just nothing, you know? Like, hey! Uh, so, I can't jet set anymore? Really? Okay. Um, so a couple years later, something drops in my lap, which was, Literally like a kiss from God. Like, I, I received that. So I got, somebody gives me a call and says, hey, you know, um, you're still well known and, you know, the, you, have, you have pretty good hair and they want to do a commercial. <laughs> and uh, they'll pay you, uh, I think at the time, I, I tried to calculate it when I was preparing for this. They'll pay you, I think it was like two or three years of my church salary in five days of work. So I'm going to show you a picture because I know you will enjoy it. <laughs> I know you will enjoy it. We don't have the picture? Oh. But there's a picture where I have this long hair, and I have like a head and shoulders bottle in my hand, and it's in a magazine, so that's the picture I wanted to show you. Uh, and the funny thing was, the funny thing about that is, it was that I really felt that it was God saying, see, I'll take care of you. Now, I know you're hurting, but I'll take care of you, right? And... Um, and, and a side, I'm, I'm going to tell you the side story because it's just really funny. So I'm leading a church and have this, this picture. No, that's not the picture. Uh, this is at the very end. Anyway, don't worry about it. Uh, so this picture, imagine this. <laughs> this picture wasn't on, like, in several different countries of that Eastern Europe, like, translated in a bunch of countries. And this picture was on every bus stop in the capital city and probably a bunch of other cities as well, right? But in the church that I was in, that I was leading this church, I was in every bus stop with that, right? So I had this one story that I just, I still cherish that story. This guy comes to me and he goes, this brother from the church, he goes, man, you know, I, I was like, I was, you know, I was in sin, I was feeling really guilty, and then I was waiting for my bus, and there you were. <laughs> Give me that look. And I felt really convicted, and I went and repented, and thank you, bro, for, for convicting me. I'm like, man, that's really cool. The, so, some, of the, some of the side effects of being in a commercial is like giving somebody like a really judgy look on, in a bus stop, you know? Um, but anyway, that happened, and I was super grateful. I got a brand new car from this thing. Like, easy, easy, easy money, right? And it was very timely. But then this happened. Then I was like... So I, so I need to tithe from this? This, this is a real struggle, right? So first of all, this is money that's like three years worth of money. It got me a brand new car that I wasn't expecting or deserved, quite frankly. That was just given to me from heaven, like, you know? 
and I still question whether I should tithe. In my selfishness, in my lack of faith, in my lack of this, every wealth, all the wealth and my ability to produce wealth comes from him anyway, I still struggle with it. And I had to wrestle with it and like talk to a couple of people, say a couple of prayers, and I'm like, all right, I guess, I, I guess I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's a lot of money, man. And, and so I tied with it, and I can't express the, the joy that came into my heart when I did that, the sense of all-inness, and the sense of freedom. I, w- I felt like I was liberated from the chains of greed when I did that. And that taught me a huge lesson because, you know, it's, um, we can intellectually believe those scriptures that we just read, but we don't experientially feel it. And the gap between those two things is the gap between where you are now and where you could be spiritually. Principle number three, my ability to give is a grace from God. My ability to give. My, my desire to give, it's a grace from, even that is not, doesn't make you a hero. doesn't make me a hero. It's a grace from God. Second Corinthians 8, 1, it says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And we're talking, you know, I'll give you a little bit more context about the Macedonian churches were poor. You know, we have churches that are wealthy. If you go to Western Europe, we have family, uh, people in our, in our family of churches. They're wealthy churches, relatively speaking. Then we have a church in Mozambique, you know, a church that we have an after-school academy that we started a, a few years ago. And that it, when you go there, physically go there, and you go to church and you realize this is a poor church. I mean, this is culture shock for them to see all of this and all of you, to see the parking lot full of nice cars. It's a cul- most of them don't have cars. It's a culture shock. So Macedonian, the Macedonian church was a poor church. As a matter of fact, it's re- really fascinating. If you go to Macedonia now, it's still a fairly poor, co- poor country relative to Europe, right? But it says that it's been this grace that's been given to them overflows with a very different way they, w- they look at their money, right? Well, how do you do that? Well, it needs to be cultivated. That's my point. It's not like you have a Sunday service and, you know, I like blow you away with a particular insight and you just are in instantly generous. It just doesn't work that way. It needs to be cultivated. If you want it, you need to work for it. You need to wrestle with it. You need to explore it. You need to inquire from the Holy Spirit. You need to be in community. You need to ask for discipleship. Don't keep it to yourself. Allow God to shape you into a new person. The Macedonians uh, refused to let hard circumstances to to shape their their given. In 2 Corinthians 8.2, this is what it says. They are being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor, talking about the, the, the church in Macedonia. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflown in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it on their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So the context of this is there was an economic crisis meltdown in Jerusalem, and the church in Jerusalem was just, just people were suffering. 
So the Apostle Paul basically calls for all the churches to say, hey, let's help them out. And people start doing it. And the Macedonian, it looks from context, I've read a couple of researchers that were talking about this particular story, is that it's om- it almost feels like the, the, the apostles were going, okay, everybody should w- just chip in, do, do what you can, but you guys, Macedonians, don't feel obligated. It's like asking Mozambique to help, up, uh, help out Austin, you know? We're having a hard time. We have an economic meltdown. Let's call the church in Mozambique. Pr- pr- most of us would go, yeah, we're not doing that. Right? We're not doing that because there's not much they can do for us in, in, in comparison. But imagine if they would come back and say, no, 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 please don't deprive us from this privilege. That's what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that if a poor church goes, don't, no, 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 don't take this away from me. This is a joy. This is a privilege. That's just remarkable, isn't it? And that translates into us personally because we are all relative to somebody else, super poor and broke. Right? It's all relative. And in our, in our, in our flesh, it's much, it's much easier to land, I can't afford this, to land, this is a privilege. That's the massive difference, right? So the, the essentially what happens is the, the, the Macedonians had to plead with the apostles to allow them to contribute more. That's what the story says. Principle number five. Give, giving, us, um, giving frees us from too true wealth. So this is a mind-blowing concept, but I'll unpack it for you. Second Corinthians 9, 9 and verse 15, so we sort of skipped from 9 to 15. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, yet for the sakes our, your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That is, the, that is our king. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. And this is what he d- did, and this is how he did it. To model a lifestyle for you and I. A lifestyle for you and I. Do you want to be rich in Christ? Do you want to be rich like Christ? I do. I really, really, really do. And it's just hard. Because in the flesh, that's not how we, what we, that's not what our flesh wants. The spirit wants this. But the flesh wants something else. And when we walk together, we help each other be like, rich like Christ. Um, so let me wrap it up, sort of bookend this. Remember those two standing on stage? Bob Gimple, uh, Bob, um, Al Baird and, Bo- and Pat Gimple. Powerful, iconic. We wouldn't be here without them. You have never met them, and you wouldn't be here without them. Think about that. The ripple effect of that kind of life. When they were standing on the stage, both of them by, by then had lost their spouses, you know? And it's, you know, I don't know about you, but it's probably my worst nightmare to lose Deb, right? Like, selfishly, I go, you know what? I'll go first, because I'll be in heaven having fun, and you, you know, good luck to you. Uh, that's better for me. Uh, anyway. But um, we actually, we both, I, we know both Al and Pat. And Pat, we used to, I used to be my boss. I worked with her for three years. 
uh, at this charity called Hope Worldwide. So I worked very closely to her, and she, she really tremendously influenced my life in the way in, this, in her vision and passion to serve the poor worldwide. That's sort of part of the reason. She is part of the big part of the reason why I'm like, like it's, I'm uncompromising in that way. Like this is just my personal mission. I want to serve the poor, right? Um, so I love that woman. And I, I, uh, talk, I, I was like looking for her in the crowd, you know, and I couldn't find her. And then day two or day three, I saw her and I just grabbed her, gave her a big hug, and I started saying to her, hey, you know, thank you so much for what you did for me. Um, and then it's the first time I talked to her since um, the death of, of her husband, Bob. And I said, you know, I ob obviously expressed my condolences at that time, but I never heard the story. So I said, Pat, can I ask you, how was it? And she, she, uh, and she said, well, we're having coffee at 8.45 in the morning. And... Uh, and then he feels lightheaded, and then, he, he, you know, we, we are getting dressed to go to the ER, and then he can't get up, so we call the ambulance. And I said, did you get a chance to, to say goodbye? And she said, yes. He, she goes, you know, when we saw something, something bad was happening, we prayed together. And when we prayed together, we prayed that God's will <laughs> will be done. And she looks at me, and she goes, isn't that the best way to go? I go, you know what? Yeah. So I can't talk about it without this, right? And the reason for that is because that's her treasure. That is, those are the words of someone who bought the field. And because the, way, the reason it resonates with me and maybe resonates with you is because you have bought the field. And the treasure just springs up right here like fire. They're all in. This is what I live for. Part, right? This is what Je Jesus wants, not from you, but for you. This is what I want, not from you, but for you. I'm here every Sunday. I serve throughout the week. You serve throughout the week. You're here every Sunday. And the ROI, the return on investment, for me personally, is that you will be transformed into somebody being rich in Christ. A kind of wealth that cannot be taken away from you by anything. By COVID, by inflation, by Biden or Trump, by a downturn in the economy, by an economic meltdown or by war, even by death, it cannot be taken away from you, that treasure, that wealth. And that is the best way to live. And there's no other way to live, according to Jesus, than all in. Your talents, your time, your money, your energy, your passion, all of it. At the foot of the throne. There's no other way. In, in, in Orlando, we, we had, of course, it's a big reunion, so you have meetings with everybody, right? There's this couple in Warsaw. And... Uh, um, they lead a small church in Warsaw, and they are the recipients of two million refugees flooding into the country. So we're like, hey, let's, let's talk about it. We're, we're doing work with Ukraine. We're coordinating with them. Her name, their name is Vanya and Masha, and they're uh, Ukrainian. They lead a church in Warsaw, but they're Ukrainian. So we're sharing stories and sort of scheming and how we can help and that kind of thing. And they tell us a story, and um, this sort of the, 
the, the little uh, spoiler that came earlier about this guy, Sasha. And Alexander, and Sasha is the diminutive to, to Alexander Sasha, right? He's a Ukrainian guy, and he basically, during the, when the war started, he started evacuating people. He, he had a car, or I think a minivan or something, and he evacuated over a thousand people from Kiev. Over a thousand people. He evacuated personally in danger, dangerous areas. He lost one of the cars. His cars had bullet holes in them as he was trying to get people out of danger. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And he lost one of the cars, got another car one way or another. And his family was in, in Warsaw. And he moved his family to, out of harm's way to Warsaw. And he went back to Ukraine and kept evacuating. And the last days of, you know, the, this infamous place in, uh, outside of Kiev called Bucha, where a lot of atrocities and death and torture happened, that's where he was pe pe grabbing people on, under Russian occupation. The occupying force was already there, and he was still going in there and getting people out, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, what a hero. What a and then they finished the story, and they said, you know, and then he was just going back to Warsaw to his family and his wife and kids, um, and his car broke down in Poland, not even in Ukraine. And he was waiting for a truck to pick him up or, uh, you know, to tow him and parked and fell asleep and this massive truck just ran over him and killed him instantly. And this is not the story you want to <laughs> hear about a hero, right? And what happened is he's, he's, they, said, they said, look, um, his family came for the funeral and they were never interested in the church. And one of his sisters, when they saw the funeral, she, she said, because of what I saw, I'm going to be with you. And she's studying the Bible now. And Vanya says something interesting. So I know Sasha. I know this guy. And he would have thought my death would be worth it to see his family saved, you know? That, that is buying the field, right? Uh, I give you all these examples because I want this for you, not from you. You know, as a community here, you know, we came nine years ago, Deb and I, and we had a, f a group of people in this room who wanted to do the same thing, buy the field and plant this community, and we wanted to be all in. And we laid, laid down our lives for this community. And the only way this community keeps flourishing and going forward and growing and changing lives is that all of us buy the field. They were not practicing Christianity. They were not just people in the pews nodding, saying amen, maybe feeling better about ourselves and then forgetting about everything and not changing anything, not committing our talents, our money, our hearts, our service to this community specifically. And one thing I wanted to sort of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, pray in a minute to draw your attention to it as another important treasure is our kids. You know, we have had a, we had a baby explosion in this community lately. I don't know if you've noticed this. I guess it's crazy, you know. We're multiplying, filling the earth. <laughs> so we just... Um, Deb posted uh, on Facebook last night, after we moved our last kid out of the house, and she said, 
you know, the, I couldn't I could have said it better. She says, my house is empty, but my heart is full. And the reason she's able to say that is because her kids love the Lord. And also because they might stray from the Lord. Absolutely, this is called free will. It's a pesky little thing. Um, but our kids cannot unsee, cannot unremember, cannot unexperience a kingdom life of this family. They can't. And this is going to, I love this, and I've told them to, to their face, I'm like, look, some days you're going to, you know, you're going to sin, you're going to, you might even leave the Lord altogether, but here's what, he's going to torture you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will torture you because you can't unsee the life we live. And you know this is the best life. You know this is the treasure. And you won't, rem you won't be able to sin in peace after tasted how sweet the kingdom is, right? And here's what I'm going to tell you parents and about, uh, about to be parents. Your kids, they already know if you bought the field or not because they're 24-7 with you. They know. You can't hide being halfway there, being lukewarm from them. You cannot and if nothing else motivates you to be all in, let that be a motivation. They will grow up and they will do what you do, not just do what you say. If you want them to be, have a kingdom treasure, you better buy the field. You better buy the field, and it'll pay off. And that's our experience now with Deb. It's like we're sad to see them going. Of course, we cry, and there's tears and stuff like that. But we're like... We're all in. All they know about us, 24-7, inside the house, outside the house, in public or in private, is kingdom first. That's all they've ever seen. And you know what? They can choose whatever they want going forward, but you cannot forget that. And it's the best, the highest chance they have of making it in the kingdom of God. May that be a motivation for you parents to be all in, to buy the field. So now I want you to think about this thoroughly and not just have this emotional response. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to post it on Facebook as well. But if you go to the QR code, I actually posted a, a worksheet for your family. Because I, want, I, don't, I don't want you to go, oh, man, that was amazing, convicting. I cried, I laughed, this and that. It's going to wear off. This is not a lifestyle. Sunday doesn't determine your lifestyle. It might bring an appetite to you. So there's a worksheet there, and we're going to send it on Facebook as well and through email that basically helps you and your family work through how you think about your finances and literally commit to something between you and God and each other. How am I going to live this? How am I going to, how am I going to have this treasure principle come alive in, in my life? And, and, and look, what I want to encourage you to do also is not to feel guilty. We're all, we're all in this together. If you need help, ask for help. Inquire the Bible. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask in discipleship. Confess. Be open. Allow this to wash over you and change you. Also, what I want to encourage you to do, every small group in, this, in, in tribe is to go through the pre treasure principle book 
as the first series of meetings in our small groups when our season starts in September. So we have a copy of this book for every small group leader, right? Uh, every household, is it small group leader or household, babe? House, every household will get a, a copy of this book. Please don't just put it on your shelf, I beg you. Make it real for you, right? So as we take communion, um, here's the question I want you to consider. Will you buy the field? If you're a new person just checking this church out and going, oh, this is not the best first meeting for me. <laughs> deep end, going deep end right away, right? You know what? You are here for a reason. God knows when, he, when to bring somebody in. Maybe that's what you need the most. Will you buy the field? If you've been around for a while and you've been just bogged down by life and anxiety and financial anxiety and the crisis and the inflation, all that, and you go, this is not the good time. The question to you is, do you, will you buy the field and believe? Because there is an, this is not, if you've, if you've paid attention to the scripture we just shared, has nothing to do with circumstances at all. It has everything to do with faith and conviction and the, the way you see the world. Will you buy the field? And more specifically, if you're a member of tribe specifically, will you buy this field? How would tribe feel, be experienced, if 100% of the members of tribe would tithe of their time, their energy, their service, their money, their prayers? What would that do to this? in a week if we all kicked in that way. Can you imagine what would happen here? It would be a revival, I can guarantee you. It would be a transformation. It would be a, a shift in consciousness if we all decide to buy this, this field. And if we want this to be a generational church where our children come and they bring their friends. And when they marry, they will bring their children and their, ch and their children's children. This is the only way that can happen. If each generation buys the field, and I believe there's a generation ready to buy the field. And I was witness, I witnessed that in Orlando when I heard the roar. And I want the young to lead the way. And I want the old people here to go I'm back in. I'm back in. Will you pray with me?